These guys have got you covered. And the heat, fellas. You're locked on to Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. One, two, three. Move it. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by KSLSports.com. I'm going off the rails on a crazy train. I'm going off the rails on a crazy train. Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott, Ben Anderson. Yeah, I, I left a bunch of movies off my list. So Bob Duvall movies alone. Yeah. I like you call him Bob Duvall, like your friends. Everyone else calls him Robert Duvall. But yeah, you can call him Bob Duvall. Bob Duvall, man. Yeah, Robert Duvall. Hey, uh, everybody does that with, with athletes. Why can't I get away with Mike it Jordan. With, no, I, uh, I can't listen to a press conference without hearing, hi, Don. Hi, Don. Yeah. Or, hey, Bogey. Yeah. Or, or whatever. Why can't I do that with Bob? Because uh, we talk to these people, and you don't talk to Robert Duvall. UPS guy or UPS guy on Twitter, I'm not sure. He says uh, he loves Inglorious Bastards, Jurassic Park, and Django Unchained. Those are great. Those are great suggestions. Every single one of those is a terrific movie. Next time you interview Damian Lillard, I want you to call him Dame Dalla. I'm not gonna. It's not a nickname. I'm not calling Donovan Spida, which I would never call him that. But I'll call him Don. Donovan. Hey, Mister Bogdanovich. No, doesn't work. Homeboy on Bogey. Don. It's hard to say Donovan. I don't even know what to call Quinn Snyder. So I call him Coach, and a lot of people don't call him Coach. Uh, I call him Coach. Yeah, I call him Coach. I think he prefers Coach. I think he does. Too. Uh, but people have called him Q. People call him Quinn. He kind of, I think, is adjusted to it, and will take whatever you throw at him. But I just try and call him Coach. I just think it's funny the familiarity. Like, what if a, a, a loose acquaintance came up to you and was like, "Hey, B." Yeah, right. Don't ever call <laughs> me that again. What's up, we'll B? take your movies. We'll take your favorite movies. I What's guess up? we're doing that today. We'll uh, we are. Them. All right. Uh, let's let's play the sound from uh, from Donovan Mitchell because, of course, with no Rudy Gobert in the lineup, Don, the, uh, the uh, kind of hot take out there in the in the Twitter sphere has been, "Wow, Rudy is important to this team." Like we're just discovering it, and uh, Donovan was asked if he was just discovering the the value of Rudy Gobert. In fact, he said, "Was it a was it a lesson for you at how valuable Rudy Gobert is?" All right, let's hear it. No, it was no secret. I, I don't think we underappreciate him. Maybe the outside world might have. I don't think anyone in this locker room um, undervalued his presence. Um, but, you know, in the same token, we lost two winnable games um, in Indiana um, and um, Detroit. Um, tonight we had no centers. <laughs> um so, you know, there's no secret, you know, he's the three time defensive player of the year for a reason. But I don't I wouldn't say we, we, we under the answer would be no because we all value him. I would say maybe externally it was it was looked as, looked at a certain way, but we all know that what what it is, you know, uh with Rudy. So um I would say no because we know his value, know his worth, um and we know, you know, what he brings, especially on the defensive end. Of course they do, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Of course they do. And listen, from an outside perspective, Rudy will never be good enough. He will never be Correct. good enough for the shacks of the world, not Correct. the drag, because what he does is just not appreciated because you have to absolutely have to watch him consistently and you have to think 
with more sophistication than just, well, he only averages 14 points a game. Right. So Rudy is never going to be good enough. But it, I, I find it interesting that you ask Rudy's teammate that just lost by 20, specifically because Rudy wasn't there. Are you guys just noticing how valuable Rudy is? Of course they know. If anybody knows, it's Donovan Mitchell. It's the reason Donovan should love playing with Rudy, and, and I have no reason to doubt that he does, But because Rudy makes him better. I do think there's a funny appreciation here that let's talk a little bit about, because I think actually one of the things Donovan Mitchell said, that if you want to create controversy, and I'm not trying to, but one of the things you could say is he says, especially at the end there, he says, especially on the defensive end, they know how valuable Rudy is. Which if you wanted to read into a slight, and I'm not saying that there was a slight there at all. Look at you. I promise you. Wow, Ben. He could say it's not on the offensive end, which is something you and I have gone back and talked about quite a bit, because if you ask NBA players who the best player is in the NBA, a lot of people will honestly say someone like Kyrie Irving. Because there is an appreciation for the skill level that he has. And we can even bring this full circle with film school Megan over here, Miracle Megan over here, which is if you ask like movie people, a lot of them will like the skill that goes into movie making versus the raw enjoyment of a sweet home Alabama or something like that and be like, they don't appreciate that because the skill is not there as much as it is with some of these other movies. Uh, So you can go back and look at it in that direction and honestly say almost maybe that's where the analytics people overvalue Rudy Gobert or have a different perspective on Rudy Gobert than the players because the players are looking at a raw skill, what it feels like to be on the floor against a skilled guy, defend a skilled guy, play with a skilled guy versus looking at the outside and saying, well, the numbers tell me that this skill offers this. And it's it's obvious to look at Rudy Gobert and say, well, you know, the Jazz problem, yes, was that they weren't great defensively last night, but man, they only gave up 111 points. They weren't bad defensively. They only scored 91. Yeah. And one of the reasons they only scored 91 points was because, it wasn't because Rudy Gay wasn't out there, no offense to Rudy Gay, but it really was because they don't have a lot of space to operate when, when Rudy Gobert's not out there playing to open up things for Donovan Mitchell and open up things for... Uh, for Mike Conley or Jordan Clarkson or Joe Ingles or whichever guard you want to say needs that space off of Rudy Gobert. So I actually think there might be an interesting conversation there. Well, maybe there is an underappreciation still of Rudy Gobert on the offensive side of the ball because the Jazz were able only able to score 91 points without him on the floor. So there might still actually be some underappreciation of Gobert. Now, I, I don't think that's what Donovan Mitchell was saying at all, but I do think there is an interesting dynamic from the outsider's perspective versus the guys on the floor as far as skill and impact and how those two differ. That's an, it's, it's an interesting point. And also... Because why, why would he say that? And again, not turning to, trying to stir you were not, yeah, up. We're not but, creating drama but, between well, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. No, no, that no, is no. not there. No. Is that in a sense where maybe Donovan feels like they're good enough to pick up the slack offensively or should be good yeah. enough to pick up the slack offensively? Like, you know, Rudy Pick or not, Donovan should be able to beat his guy? I don't know. That is that is that is interesting because he did say especially defensively, which is obvious. Hmm. Uh, also, Donovan Mitchell did say that they had two winnable games in Indiana and Detroit that He's they let go away. So right about that. Which he is right. And that's not – and that is something that I guess in a way you could say, again – if you want to look at it through one lens as a, hey, we didn't need Rudy to win those games. The truth is they didn't need Rudy nope. to win those games. They should be good enough to win those games with Hassan Whiteside at center. And they dropped the ball. Well, Donovan himself in the Indiana game was going up against a 10-day contract guy. Right. And the right. other per- player in the backcourt who Mike was going up against was... Wayne a, Washington was and Kiefer Sykes. Yeah, two Not guy. guys. Yeah. Not dudes. Not dudes. Yeah. No, yeah. The, the Jazz should have torched those dudes. Torn them apart. Yeah. I don't care how many points the bonus had. It shouldn't have mattered. Well, and you were up 22 against Detroit. 
It doesn't matter that Rudy Gobert's not out there. You got to figure out a way to last 24 minutes with a 22 point lead, or, you know, I guess technically it was midway through the second quarter. You got to last 30 minutes with a 22 point lead. I get it's a game of runs. I get they adjust. You need to be good enough to buckle down when you need to to not let those leads disappear. Detroit. I guess the bad team. Oh, Indiana. The worst. Indiana's a bottom five team in the league, too, Jake. Well, Detroit's got the worst offense like yes. in the history of the NBA. But the, yeah, the Jazz should have won those games even without Rudy Gobert. And it is. Again, I, I understand the difficulty, the adversity facing this team, especially with COVID, especially being on the road. I There's no team in the NBA right now that loves easy things more than the Jazz. They love it when it's easy. When shots are going in, you're not going to beat them. When it's easy, you're just not going to beat the Jazz. They love it when it's easy. They are... They have had a harder time, it feels like, answering the bell when things are hard this year than I think maybe you would want to if you're a Jazz fan. But I think Donovan makes an interesting point not bringing up last night's loss because, you know, you give somebody a pass for anything. I give them a pass for last night's loss. I didn't think there was any way they were winning that game. You and I said that with, during the show. Yeah, with the roster that they had, I mean, it, it just wasn't going to happen. And that was before but, we knew Hassan Whiteside was out. Right. But Indiana and Detroit? Yeah, they should have won both those games. Yep. Given the players that they had available, certainly, and the players the other team had available, uh, yeah. In fact, uh, let me let me bring this up here, uh, Ben. I had a, a Tyson Ewing uh, sent me an interesting kind of thread. Does he DM night. you tweets? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, he does. Well, you're always bringing up Tyson Ewing for the for the post game. Yeah, I like uh, I like taking uh, capitalizing on other. Are you people's paying work. this guy? No, he's just <laughs> under nice. the table. All right, so get this and bear with me here for a second. Uh, let's see. In three. Of the last four games, a player has scored a career high for points in a quarter and points in a half. All three have been in the third quarter and in the second half. Fred Van Vliet on Friday, 24 in the third, 28 in the second half. Cade Cunningham on Monday, 18 in the third, 24 in the second half. Lamar Stevens last night, 15 in the third, 19 in the second half. Over the last four games, the following players had career games. Yeah, so I, I, I've noticed there's been a lot of career highs against the Jazz in the last three games. Fred Van Vliet, career high for points in a quarter, 24. Career high for points in half, 28. Indiana, DeMontis Sabonis, career high, 42. Yep. Lance Stevenson, career high, I 14 assist. assists. Detroit, Cade Cunningham, ter- career high, 29 points. Yep. Career high for a quarter, 18. Career high, points in a half, 24. Last night, Cleveland, Lamar Stevens, career high, 23. Career high for points in a quarter, 15. Career high for points in a half, 19. Darius Garland career high assist. 15 assists and first triple double and Garland and Van Vliet both got their first triple doubles of their career yeah I don't subscribe so let's dissect a little bit of what you said I don't subscribe to the idea that and you see this a lot on Twitter the Jazz always get killed by a random player and you know the the most famous situation was Linus Claza scoring whatever almost 50 against the Jazz or Derek Rose scoring 50 on Halloween a couple of years ago like every fan base says this scrub kills us Every fan base. Well, look, all these guys can play. Again, Daniel House said every player in the NBA can play. That's why they're out there. The Jazz also have random guys. Eric Paschal going off for 30. Toronto can now say, man, Eric Paschal killed us. Right. Like This scrub killed us. This rando killed us. Every team has that because there's enough guys in the NBA. You put them out there long enough in enough situations. Someone's going to go off. That's how they made the league. They're really good basketball players. So I don't subscribe to that. It is not a good sign when all these teams, all these individual players start going off, though, for career highs. And it's not like it's Dwayne Washington or Kiefer Sykes that we're talking about that are getting their first real opportunities. Fred Van Vliet's been in the NBA. He's on a max contract right now. Right. Like He's been around forever. Darius Garland, 
yeah, he's kind of just reaching his his peak now, but he's been in the league for a, for a couple of years now. And been good for a minute. And been yeah. good for a while. Yeah. Lance Stevenson has been in the NBA for 35 seasons now <laughs> and went off for 15 assists or 14 assists, whatever it was, for the first time uh, in his career. And then again, Garland had 15 assists last night. DeMontis Sabonis should not go 18 of 22 against you. No. He's been in the league forever. It's the most efficient 42 points I've ever seen. Ever seen. Yeah. Ever seen. So, yes, that is a huge red flag that you're not able to stop any of these guys who are having individual career nights. Now, Lamar Stevens I'm a little less concerned about because I get he was the player that slipped through the cracks. Like, you, you tried to stop Jared Allen. You tried to stop Laurie Markkinen. You tried to stop... Uh, Evan Mobley, you tried to stop Darius Garland. Darius Garland didn't shoot the ball particularly well last night. But you only have so many pieces, and you can't guard Lamar Stevens at that point. He ended up scoring, what, 13 straight on that 21-0 run. I think that's a little bit understandable. But it is a red flag that all these guys are just teeing off against the Jazz, and that is a sign that the defense is not good enough. But we knew that. We knew the defense wasn't And probably a sign that Rudy Gobert is not playing. Correct. To bring this uh, full Full circle. circle. Yeah, it's, it's a sign that they rely on Rudy a lot. I think that's been obvious for a while. Not to mention that Coach Schneider says it like all the time. Yeah. That they've built both their offense and defense around Rudy Gobert and his unique skill set. So um I I think it's reasonable to hope that he will be in the lineup on Sunday. So this is gonna be the hard part about the jazz. And you can see I talked about it a little bit at KSLsports.com yesterday was that like you have three days off now. You should get if if everyone gets out of protocol in the six days, which is the NBA minimum requirement, Joe, we know Joe's back. He was back last night. Rudy Gobert should be back. Elijah Hughes should be back, and Rudy Gobert or and uh, and Rudy Gay should be back. So that's a big chunk of your lineup. But the problem is Mike Conley hasn't had it. Jordan Clarkson hasn't had it. Donovan Mitchell hasn't had it. Trent Forrest hasn't had it. Like the number of Boyan Bogdanovich hasn't had it. Royce O'Neal hasn't had it. They missed games, but they didn't have COVID. By the time you come back on Sunday to face the Nuggets or Monday when you play the Lakers, you might not have any players in your backcourt. It randomly got everybody in the front court. Now it might get everyone in the backcourt next. And if we know anything about how COVID has traveled through the NBA, just looking at the NBA specifically, it does. It just ravages every team and everyone's going to get touched by it, saved by a random three or four people on the roster that we don't know why it's not getting to them. So there's a real chance by Sunday... The team we saw last night is flipped, and you have to start a rotation with Royce O'Neal at your starting point guard, <laughs> you know, or, or maybe Trent Forrest is your starting point guard. But there's a very real chance that by the next time we see this team, it's not that you're getting these guys back, it's who have you lost since then, even if you are getting some guys back on the, ro- uh, on the roster that weren't there last night. However, I don't know if there's anybody more important than Rudy. That's the age-old question, right? Is Rudy sure. their best player sure. or is he their most important Correct. player? Or what label do you throw on there? But I'll tell you what, Jazz are going to be in trouble if they don't have either Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, the problem, one of the dribble. issues last night. Yeah. Now, I don't think the Jazz would have beat, and we said this, I don't think the Jazz would have beat the Cavs last night if they had Hassan but didn't have Rudy Gobert. Like, you needed Rudy Gobert to win a game with three seven-footers that attacks the paint. They weren't going to win without Rudy Gobert, even if Whiteside was out there. It just so happened that none of them were out there. But yes, if you lose all of your playmakers in the backcourt, and you only have Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson, you're going to be in real trouble. Because you need Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell to be scorers, to be guys who can get, who can pass and score and run an offense. And, and right now, Clarkson can score, doesn't necessarily run an offense. Joe can run an offense, but he can't score at all right now. So you're going to be in trouble if you lose everyone in one position, which was one of the major issues last night, and why the Jazz could be in trouble again when they go to Denver. Well, way to think negatively, Ben. Why not think I'm about getting, guy. having everybody come back? Oh, I, I, yeah. ideally that's the case. There's basically nothing that's shown us that that's going to be realistic. 
Again, now, negative. Speaking of getting people back and the Denver Nuggets, did you see the news today that happened with the Denver Nuggets? Let's hear it. Uh, you remember a couple of days ago they traded Bull Bull yep. for Rodney Magruder and a second round pick, I think it was Rodney Magruder, was any of these weird guards that's been around the NBA for a long time. Today that trade got nixed because Bull Bull did not pass his physical, which is unfortunate. That's sad. But man, can you imagine being traded, <laughs> failing your physical, and then having to come back to the team that just said, thanks, we don't want you anymore. That's And, and poor Bull Bull, who's had just a very difficult life, but that's... That's a very hard situation to find yourself in. And to be the general manager who has to welcome Bull Bull back to the team after you pulled the trigger on a trade has got to be one of the most awkward situations in professional sports. What would be more awkward, that or Ronnie Cycli saying that he's not going to Utah and at ended least, up going back? At least you only have to come play in Salt Lake, what, like eight times the rest of your career? No, but the problem with Cycli is that the team obviously didn't want him. Miami, sure. It's, Miami it's was like, willing to trade like, him. Yes. You know, you come back to uh, Correct. a party. You've Derek been, Harper did the yeah, same thing. Yeah, right, but you, you come back to your team because you failed a physical. That's one thing. But you come back because, like, it's like being asked to leave the party, and you leave, and you come back, and you're like, you know what? I'm staying. I actually wanted to stay. Uh-huh. I'm going to stay. I know everybody hates me here and uh, doesn't doesn't want me here, but you know what? I'm staying. I'm going to finish my coffee. At least. At least you have some declaration in that, right? At least Ronnie Cycli and Derek Harper had some agency and authority in that situation where they said, yeah, you know what? I'd rather be here. I'm going to go full selfish here. I'm going to be here and I'm going to take care of myself and I'm not going to report to Salt Lake City. Bull Bull reported to Detroit and then he still has to go back. So he's been on this plane twice now. Not his fault, though. It's not his fault. It's his, you know, bunions or whatever. I would still rather be Ronnie Cycli. I would still rather be Derek Harper, who refused to go to Utah, than Bull Bull, who basically got kicked out and then had no choice but to come back. Ronnie Cycli got what he wanted. So did Derek Harper. Bull Bull is yeah, unwanted and now is back in a spot that doesn't want him. But the the, the Heat didn't want him. How long did Ronnie Cycli end up Cycli. staying there? I think he just finished the year. Ronnie Cycli. Was it Roni or Ronnie? Doesn't matter. I'm not calling him Roni if it's his name. You don't want to come to Salt Lake? I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to say your name right. Man, that was a long time ago. That thing still gets brought up. That and Derek Harper both. Cycli would start 47 games in the 1997-1998 season, but in February he was traded to Utah Jazz, a deal that was rescinded due to Cycli's refusal to report. Orlando then responded by sending him to the New Jersey Nets. All right, there you go. So he came back and they said, fine, you're you're going to New Jersey. Rather go to Jersey. That's a slap in the face. I don't know if he ever played again though with the with the ma- uh, with the Heat after they tried or with the Magic after they tried to trade him. Well, I mean that that could have been the move that put that Jazz team over the top. That right? was the thought. I mean, yeah. it was better than Ostertag. That was the whole thing. Yes. I don't even remember who was part of that deal. Chris Morris, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And something else probably. I think it was a draft pick. Was it a draft pick of yeah. Chris Morris for Roney? And I don't remember what the Derek Harper one was. Jazz were going to trade Chris Morris, Greg Foster, and a draft pick to the Magic. And for, they had to bring them back. For Ronnie. Hmm. I wonder if that would have made a difference. Sacrificed a lot of defense that way, but you got Carl, so. You, yeah, you needed another score. You need another option because Hornacek was pretty washed by that point. Hmm. All right, coming up next, we have the top three stories at kslsports.com. Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. What time is it?
Jets. It's half past the hour and time to talk Utah Jets. Oh, this is your Jazz at 30 update. Ring the 30-point belt. Jazz coming off a tough loss to the Cavs. They lose by 20 last night at home. Here's Coach Snyder. What went wrong with the offense in half number two? We just made it harder on ourselves than it needed to be. Where the ball, the ball would stick instead of moving it quickly, shooting it, and we get into some isolation situations which, which aren't bad. But usually, beating your man to create for someone else, you know, is what we we talked about. And uh, you know, on the defensive end, they wore us down a little bit inside, put us in some situations that we're just not as familiar with. With that group, if you've got Smalls playing post D and trying to help there, and then the ball's coming out, and when you're not playing well on both ends of the floor, that that's the result. This update is brought to you by Five Star Painting. Refresh the inside or outside of your home with Five Star Experience. With Five Star Painting, they've got the time, skills, and tools. FiveStarPainting.com. That's FiveStarPainting.com. Who's got it better than us? No! Sports coverage in Utah. You're listening to Jake Scott and Ben Anderson on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by KSLSports.com. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. It's time for the top three stories of KSLSports.com, brought to you by our friends at J. Brooks Jewelers. Got a, my wife's got a birthday coming up. We should think a little bit about J. Brooks. Yeah, go in. What do you think she'd like? A watch. She's like so practical. I know, but she just got one of those uh, fancy uh, modern... Uh, Smart watches? Yeah, one of those things. So. Okay. Earrings. Yeah. Wedding ring. An engagement ring. Well, I got or her a wedding ring a while ago. Divorce her and get married again. <laughs> Show her how much you love her. That seems like a terrible idea. What? Tell her right before her birthday that you're divorcing her, you're leaving her. Yeah, no. That's and then not. surprise her on her birthday when she's kicked you out of the house. Come nope, back and nope, be like, nope. here's a wedding ring. It was a setup. All along. The whole time. I love you this much. Yeah, I don't know. You don't think so? I don't know, Ben. She's a lawyer. She'd probably get everything. <laughs> yeah, it would not be good. All right. <sighs> let's get to the top three stories at KSLSports.com. All right, uh, Megan, let's do it. Get her a bracelet. Bracelets Number are one. Let's get her a bracelet. Coach Witt officially hires Quinton Ganther as the next running back coach for the Utes. It seemed obvious as soon as uh, Kyle McDonald left that that was going to be the name. Uh, had done great things as a player at Utah. Had done great things as a coach at Weber State. I mean, so good that he ended up getting a job with uh, Urban, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then Urban was out, so it seemed like Quinton's, uh, you know, next head coach, or next coaching job, I should say, was up in the air. It made so much sense to have him come to Utah. And, you know, the alumni remember Quinton, and I, I saw the uh, I saw the video making the rounds yesterday on Twitter of in the BYU game just uh, running over some BYU player. I mean, everybody remembers he was, he was a great player. Played for Washington in the NFL for a while. Yep. I mean, and was popular, and I, uh, I interviewed him a bunch at the beginning of my career. I mean, certainly a, a real upbeat dude. Somebody who's really easy to cheer for. But uh, he's got a great 
resume. Incredible and resume. He's got a great resume, and he's he's really um, uh, put in the work. And um, what am I looking for here, Ben? He's he's paid his dues. Sure, that's what I'm aiming for. And I, you know what, Jay Hill has identified so many great coaches there at Weber State, and I feel bad for him because they're around for a couple of years. When right. every, then everybody else realizes what great coaches they are, and they can pay more money and you know see. Colton Swan or Fessy Sataki. Correct. Or, I mean, he just yep. he identifies these guys, and and uh, Quinton Ganther is one of those. And he, I, I have no doubt he's going to do a great job at the University of Utah because he did a great job at Weber State, and that's a way harder job. If you were to create a person in a lab to be the running backs coach at the University of Utah, you would say they have to come from one of three states: California, Texas, or Florida. They need to have ties to the program. They need to have NFL experience. They need to have had success, but not so much success that they don't want the job or need the job necessarily. They need to be young. And Quinton Ganther is literally every single one of those things. Yep. 37 years old, played in the NFL for four years, so he made money, but not so much money that he doesn't care about the, the job. He's got... As you said, he's he's earned his stripes. He's paid his dues working at a smaller school like Weber State. So he's not going to be blindsided by what the job actually takes to come in and recruit, be on the clock 70 hours a week or more, what it takes to go out and get these kids, keep these kids, and how to coach these kids. And then he's also played at the highest level. So he can tell Jalen Glover. He can tell whichever running back Utah is going to go and recruit next. I know what it takes to make the NFL. I know you can do it from a place like Utah. And then what's going to happen when you get there? And you know what? Even better, he got his degree while he was at Utah. Little things like that that he can say, hey, look, this matters. I got my sociology degree from Utah. Get your degree. Go to class. Pay attention. I promise you it will matter in the long run. It's a great story. And just Utah has been having Sharif Shah share his story with recruits even before he was a coach. Because Sharif, and he's talked about it a, a zillion times, will tell you what an impact going to the University of Utah had on his life getting that degree and of course he went on to go to uh, law school he was a, a practicing attorney I believe he's still uh, a partner in his law firm I could be wrong about that but obviously with an incredibly successful life before even getting to coaching that's a great message yep that's a great that's a great message for moms and dads too which is another big component with recruiting nope. so uh, I'm with you he can he can really go tell a story about how the University of Utah put him into a better place in life I'm just not yeah I really don't know how you could have drawn up a more perfect resume for the type of person you'd be looking to come in and take a coaching job at Utah at running backs uh, than what you have right now with Quinton Ganther. So great hire easy hire to make and glad it ended up working out for Utah and then you hope that sometimes you know sometimes Hires are so obvious that they don't yeah. end up working out for whatever reason. Hopefully this one uh, ends up working out for the youth. Kyle McDonald was better than I expected. It was way better than I was expecting coming in. So hopefully Quinton Ganther can come in and do the same thing. And for Quinton, I'm loving it because if there's there are a couple positions on the University of Utah that they've always been able to recruit, and running back's one of those. And when you get good players, they make coaches look really good. Yeah. Yep. And you, you, look, Utah's a running back factory. Utah. Ever, if you're a starting running back at Utah, you go to the NFL. It's that simple. If you do that now, you're going to go play in the league. That's been the case with the last five true kind of workhorse running backs. The guy's getting the lion's share of the carries at Utah. You go to the league. So uh, he's got a great spot to recruit from. He's got a great story himself, and he's got a great school to sell. So he's in a good spot. There are so few teams that, that are diehard run teams. Of course Utah recruits great running backs. Yep. Of course they do. Right. 
because that's an easy sell too. You want to go play for Mike Leach where you'll touch the ball three times right. and you better block, right? Or you want to come here and have twenty five carries yeah. a night? Yeah, you're going to get a hundred yards a game if you're just by if you reach kind of like your basic potential of where we think you are as a three or four star recruit coming out. You're going to average a hundred gar- yards a game at Utah because yeah, like you said, you're going to get twenty carries and generally the offensive line is pretty good because yep. Jim Harding's also good at his job. And as long as you don't fumble, yep. Then you're you're going to play and probably go on to the league, uh, next step in the league. All right, let's get to uh, number two. Number two. College football expansion stalled. Yeah. The uh, playoff talks, Jake, to uh, expand from uh, four teams to six teams or even to 12 teams, any of the options that have been thrown out there are kind of six major leading options, and it doesn't seem like it's going to expand from four over these final four or so years of the college football playoff contract that is currently signed with ESPN. I find the the reason why um, really, really fascinating, because everybody wants it. So what's the holdup? And of course, Ben, I know one of your favorite books is The Art of the Deal. And (laughs) (laughs) uh, it's these two sides that... It's these two sides that are negotiating with what leverage they have. And you know what? It's an example of how powerful ESPN is. Because you don't think of ESPN as a college football power player, but they are the college football. They are directing what is going on. And they want an expanded playoff. They want it. They really want it. They want it because they want the inventory. They want to sell it. And those games individually are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and they they want that. That's what they want. The universities, Ben, and more specifically the conferences, they want it too, but not doing it is also their leverage because ESPN wants it. So what the conferences are doing, or from what I can tell, Ben, is the conferences are saying, well, we'll think about this after you give us our conference TV deals, which everything is pretty much coming to a head for everybody but the ACC in the next three years or so. And the other power player here who is okay with conference expansion or, or playoff expansion, but doesn't need it, is Greg Sankey, who's the SEC commissioner. Yes, right. If you great do, point. you know what? If you guys do it, great. You can make us more money. Fabulous. If you don't, I liked Georgia and Alabama being in the national championship game. And you know what I think is going to happen next year? I think Georgia and Alabama are probably going to be in the national championship game next year. And even if it's not Georgia, it's going to be Bama. Or if it's not Bama, it's going to be Georgia. Whoever wins the SEC is in the, the championship game. Yep. Or, I mean, they're definitely going to be in the playoff. And there's usually going to be at least two SEC schools in the college football playoff. So if you don't expand from four, it probably doesn't hurt the SEC that much. Twelve is great because you might end up with five SEC teams, four SEC teams making it at that point. And they'll take that money. They'll take the extra cash that comes with it. But even if you don't, the SEC is not using all the weight of the leverage that they have to create conference expansion. Because if they wanted to, everybody would follow suit. But they are not twisting the arms that... You know, the Pac-12 is trying to, the Big 12 is trying to, the ACC would like to, and the Big 10 would like to. The SEC is fine if you do it, but they're not going to put all their weight on that spot right now. A lot of this, too, we talked about this with coaches being conservative. (laughs) A lot of this, too, comes back to CYA. Do conference commissioners get credit for the additional revenue provided by the playoff? No. Everybody gets that. You know, Greg Sankey, George Klyavkov, they don't get credit for that. You know where they get blamed, though? Is if your conference TV deal sucks. Right. So they're going to protect themselves before they 
do what's in the best interest of the sport. Right. Well, arguably. I don't know if it is in the best interest, but most people seem to think that. So you're going to lock down your conference TV deal. Make sure you're getting uh, covered on that end before you worry about the playoff because, frankly, you're not going to get any credit or blame if right. the playoff expands. I get it why Klyavkov want, wants it to expand because he wants his teams guaranteed to be in there to be part of that payoff. But what's his big job? It's the local TV deal. What's priority number one for Correct. him? Correct. It's his conference TV deal, which is coming up. The whole reason you fired Lair Bear is so that he didn't have a part in these negotiations, which are happening right now. Correct. I, I'm totally with you. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to see it. And can I tell you the truth? I mean, I get why the, all the schools want more money. If you expand it for everybody, everybody just gets more money. It doesn't make the Utes more competitive or BYU more competitive. Now, it might give you extra access to a playoff game. Do you think Utah fans have backed off the idea of college football expansion now that they've been to the Rose Bowl? Now that they realize like how it's possible to get there, that doesn't feel like an impossible pathway anymore? I bet you some of them have softened on the idea that you have to have conference expansion. Maybe. Did you, did you feel like you had a bad year because you, you didn't playoff, go to the college football maybe playoff? playoff expansion. Yes, ex- playoff expansion. Uh, yeah, I mean, you still played the second best team in the Big uh, Big Ten. Like, you had an awesome opportunity in the postseason. I agree. I'm not trying to cut down the Rose Bowl, but it wasn't the ultimate stage, no? Uh, I kind of think it was. Would, the, would the Utes rather have won the, the Fiesta Bowl in 2004 or played in the BCS championship game? Well, no, that's not the question. Would they have rather played in a playoff game or played in the, in the Fiesta Bowl? Maybe at that point, because of who you were. At this point now, I, I don't know how huge of a difference there is between going to the Rose Bowl, and being in the 6-versus-7 seed of the college football playoff. Or what 5-6 seed in the college football playoff competition. You know, whatever it would be as you have buys or however big you expand. I'm not sure how big of a difference that is. I wonder if Utah fans will say they've backed off the idea of college playoff expansion because they've realized how much access they have to the Rose Bowl. Well, if they do expand the playoffs, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take all the muster out of the Rose Bowl and the other bowls for that matter? I mean, they're just going to be a part of the playoff. You right. know, it'll just be but like, yeah, it, we're going it, to... But yes, the, the name value of the Rose Bowl goes away. It's well, just a playoff game. It, I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. how it's going to be. Number three. New York Yankees minor league manager Rachel, Rachel Balkovec, I'm hoping pronouncing that right, says she's living in the American dream with her new role. She has been hired by the Class A minor league team, the Tampa Tarpons, uh, to be the first woman to work as a full-time manager of a major league affiliated team. She's the manager, how this, Jake, 34 years old. Young. Very young. She was formerly the strength and conditioning coach of the Houston Astros, and the Yankees hired her to run their uh, Class so A minor league cheats. team. cheats. I got it. She's correct. The she Astros, cheats with the Astros. I mean, right. She was the, probably doping those the, guys up. No, it's banging on trash cans. Banging man. on trash. Whatever it is. Keep they're up with all the controversy. Cheat. However they have to cheat. No, <laughs> she's probably doping those guys up, too. If you're banging on trash cans, stealing signs, you're definitely doing uh, your doping as well. I uh, I think this is incredible news. I've, I, I, why would you limit your talent pool of coaches? I mean, like, if you're only going to hire men, Ben... You're automatically eliminating 50% of the population. <laughs> Correct. But on a raw numbers game, it's idiotic. There's got to be some serious coaching talent, I don't care what the sport is, Correct. in that 50% of the population. So if you are looking for the next best coach, manager, whatever, why not go to a pool that has not even been explored? I mean, who's to say that the best... Uh, the best NFL football coach of all time wasn't born a woman and never got the opportunity. Correct. And I'm not of the belief that you have to have played 
played at a high level to be able to coach something. So, like, I understand why Bruce Arians has hired women to be on his coaching staff in the NFL and, and why that's not been so uncommon. Like, if you can watch the game, like, Mina Kimes, I think, is as intelligible talking about football as anybody else. Like, what, what her takes are just as good as anybody else's, as Jeff Saturday's, whoever's. She belongs on that TV talking about football, not just because she's a woman. She's not getting a leg up because she's a woman. She has legitimately phenomenal NFL takes. She understands the game as well as anybody. And you could do that as a coach as well. But if you even do want to talk about this conversation of saying, well, you have to play at a certain level... Look, I'm not baseball guy. I'm not softball guy. I understand the strategies are probably a little bit different, but they're not so dissimilar that if you played high-level softball, which is what's accessible to women, you wouldn't also understand what's going on in baseball. You absolutely would, which is the same reason why if you play high-level women's basketball, you understand the game. Sure, it's different. There's no women flying around the floor like Vince Carter or Michael Jordan dunking on everybody. That's different about the men's game and the women's game. But Moving the ball, ball movement, spacing, how to get open shots, how to play defense, how to play a zone, how to play man-to-man, what you need. That, that all makes sense. That all translates. So I'm with you. Having somebody and expanding your field for you can hire the best candidate, why wouldn't you look at women? Especially in minor league baseball where you're not necessarily looking for your next manager of your team. I mean, the B's general or the B's manager right now, if he got offered a first base coaching job, a third base coaching job right now in the majors would take it in a heartbeat. Like she's just trying to get the next job of double A and then the next job at triple A. Why not start offering these jobs to people who don't have other opportunities and see if, yeah, you do have a diamond in the rough. Just uh, circling back to your, uh, your, you don't have to play to coach. Uh, remind me what NBA team was Rick Majerus on again? Right. Urban Meyer played for the Bucks, right? Correct. Right. Quinn Snyder on the Chicago Bulls team. Now, he was a good point guard at Duke. Don't get me wrong. He wasn't that good. You know how Mike Leach decided he wanted to coach? He hung around Lavelle's practices. Yeah. Lavelle was like, who is the, the weirdo that's just here all the time? Right. I mean, he wasn't even on Lavelle's staff. He just showed up. Jerry Sloan was a really good coach, and he played. He played the Bulls and was really good. Phil Johnson didn't play. Have you met Gordy Chiesa? I love Gordy Chiesa to death. Played high school ball, played low-level college basketball, didn't play high-level college, didn't go to the NBA. There are really good coaches that aren't well, stars. J- Jerry's a great example, actually, because he wasn't a star, and he was a fine player, and right. his, his right. numbers retired in Chicago, and for good reason. But I would absolutely make the argument he was a far better coach than he ever was a player. Of course he was. You know, of course Phil, he was, yeah. Phil Jackson was, uh, was what, like on the bench for, those, role player. for those Knicks yeah. teams? He was a role player. But yet Isaiah Thomas can't coach a lick. Yeah, right. Larry Bird. Larry Bird as a good coach would, can't run a team. Would Michael Jordan have ever made a good coach? Probably yeah. not, because yeah. it's impossible to coach somebody to do what Michael Jordan. I I always thought BYU hiring Ty Detmer was a bad idea. Correct. Didn't have experience. Didn't have. Speaking of Quinton Ganther, has a great resume. Ty Detmer did not have a great resume. He was just Ty Detmer, this great quarterback who really was great at BYU. But how do you tell Taysom Hill? Hey Taysom, go throw it like I did. Eh. You know, it's a different skill set entirely. And you know what? I mean, if you're wor- here's the thing: if you're playing single A baseball, you are fighting for your day every single life. You're going to listen to whoever's telling you what they're telling you. If they're the boss, you're going to be listening because you're just trying to get to double A too, just like she is. So I think it's a great spot to to have these people and you know to, to try different things. And look, I hope she works her way up. I hope she ends up in the majors. I hope she does end up coaching that level. And if she doesn't, hopefully somebody else hires women and they get to that point because there's no reason not to have them there. But this is a great start. They're fighting for their day every single life. Did I say that? Fighting for their life every single day? Did I say fighting for their day every single life? Fighting fighting for their day 
<laughs> Every single I'm life. talking too much. I'm saying you're, too many words too quickly. You're into uh, what's, uh, what's uh, reincarnation? Is that Hinduism? Yeah. Just mixing my words up to sound smarter. Fighting for your day every single life. They're, <laughs> they're fighting every single day just to get to the next level. So they're going to be listening to whoever's in charge. They're not in a spot where they have leverage, you know? Oh, man. So good for the Yankees. Getting you ready for Ants and Scotty next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Yes! Poison? Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You'd be surprised to know this, Ben, but I've seen Poison at least 10 times. Oh, really? Great show. Why? Just because, like, when they're around, you go see them, or you've, like, accidentally seen them? No. Like when- Jake Hatch has seen Imagine Dragons, he said, like, 25 times, but they are always playing in Utah Valley or whatever makes sense. No, they come to town, I'm going. I, like- I didn't know Poison's been to Utah 10 times. Oh, at least. Uh, in a 20 year span? Yeah, they've been here about 10 times. Wow. Uh, there, by the way, the band I've seen the most is either 311 or Bob Dylan. But I've been to see Poison a bunch of times. Megan? Probably Tim McGraw. I've seen him a couple times. Okay. It's quite a few. More than once is quite a few for Tim McGraw. Boy, I mean, seeing Poison more than once is an insane thing to do. 80s hair metal is a great show. I bet. I bet that's what It is a great show as long as they're sober enough to perform. Correct. I was going to say the problem is that none of those people are probably in good enough shape to still be on the air. I saw Vince Neil open for Poison once. And let me tell you, he was so drunk he could not remember the lyrics to his most popular songs huh, like kickstart my heart it yeah. was like oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of sounds like bob dylan too actually man i was i'm worried about bob last time i saw him it yeah. was but you know what i've been worried about bob dylan since i was born in 1986 and he started looking rough around then yeah uh, worried about worried about bob i not be around very long I saw him at the Eccles theater though the last time he was here that's a fun place to see him it's a great I've seen him uh seen him at the salt air Seen him at the Eccles Theater at Usauna, and uh, at, I've seen him two shows at Deer Valley, which by far were his best shows. So he must like Deer Valley. Maybe he just likes Park City, yeah. Because most of the time it's just Bob standing there and kind of singing vague versions of his songs that you barely recognize without even like conversation in between songs. You know what I mean? Next time we see the Jazz, Sunday, a more complete version of the team or just an equally weakened version of the team with just different players that are back. I'm uh, not a horrible downer like you, Ben. I'm going to say they're going to be a more complete okay. version. They, 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 they beat Denver on the road without Rudy Gobert, which is becoming a growing indictment on the Denver Nuggets. Seriously. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Or a great win for the Jazz or, yeah, really Probably both, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. But, man, that's uh, that's becoming a worse and worse look. Good for Yudoka Azabuki, I guess, for having an impact on that game uh, against Nikola Jokic. But that's going to be a tough game coming up on Sunday. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be back here tomorrow as well. I'm not trying to sign no, off to you, then. You, I'm just wondering. We're not going to see the Jazz again until then. You you think the the other half of the team is going to I think it's just as likely. It's just as likely. Yeah. We don't know, though. Think positively, Ben. Okay. I'll think positively. Uh, Rachel tweets at me, says Vince Neal was the lead singer of Motley Crue, not Poison. Yes, I realized that. He, yes. They, my, uh, Vince opened for oh, really? Poison. Yes. Not Motley Crue, just Vince Neal. Ooh. Oh, just Vince Neal. Just Vince Neal opened for Poison. There's got to be a couple of those. It's like, it, it, it's like uh, you know, going back to our movie conversation. Like, at some point, you're no longer the most famous person in this movie. And like, why am I listed second now? Like, it... It had to be tough for Vince Neil to be like, well, I open for Poison now because Poison is barely here. Like, Poison's not headlining this tour, 
poisoned. Like we're they're playing coach now. They were lucky to get to Salt Lake City. They drove here, but not in like a fancy Greyhound. Like they drove here by themselves. They've fallen off from their prime, and I'm opening for them. There's some sobering moments a lot for these unsober people. Brett Michaels is still a big deal, sir. How dare you put dirt on Poison's grave? No, I'll keep shoveling. That's fine. That's a dead band. But yeah, you wonder why Vince Neil was uh, the, like basically too drunk to perform. It's exactly what you're because he's about. opening for Poison. Yeah, right. He's, he's like, like, I've been, I've been selling, I've done stadium tours and sold out, and now I'm opening for a band that's washed. And how washed does that make me? Well, how desperate for money does that make you? Because you're already part of a band that just tours because everybody's out of money. You have to do an additional tour on top of that in order to uh, operate. I guess if you've got nothing else to do. I don't know what Vince Neil's personal life's looking like. Maybe he's lonely. If there's the love of the game. Like, you know, Lance Stevenson's back in the NBA right now because I think he legitimately likes basketball. Eric Joe Weddle. Johnson hangs around, likes basketball. Eric Weddle's hanging around, likes basketball. Likes football. Likes football, excuse me. Maybe he likes basketball too, but Eric Weddle really likes football, so he's still going to find a way to hang around. But yeah, there are some of these bands. I don't think they're doing it for the love of the music. Five for your day every life, man. <laughs> that's what I say. Clearly, that's what I say. Fight for your day, every single life you have. Every time, every single life you the, fight for that the day. The Tao of Ben. Hans and Scotty G are coming up next. We want to remind you about the four fan zone on level six uh, at the next Utah Jazz game where there are free Papa Shot games, cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, uh, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. That's the Ford Fan Zone. Uh, Hans and Scotty G are coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.